You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me is the man who just moved from a one-story house to a three-story house, Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, you should see how much these calves are bulging at the moment. <laughs> Listen, I said yesterday that uh, I'm not jealous at all of the fact that you've spent the last few days moving house. Uh, so, listen, you, you've definitely been doing it more tough than me. But as far as the footy last night, we hyped up the possibility that it could be another game of the year contender <laughs> between Geelong and St Kilda. It certainly wasn't that. This one was probably an unexpected blowout. And to me, and we can go into this a little bit here, but to me, this said a lot more about St Kilda than it did Geelong. We spoke about the test that they were going to get. We spoke about the Geelong backline. We wondered how they were going to kick goals and if they had a plan B, and this was a massive fail for them. Yeah, this is something that we talked about. So while we said, um, yeah, maybe it's going to be a really good game, game of the year, you know, that, that sort of bullshit, but we have said about St Kilda multiple times is that how much of what they're doing is based on unsustainably high goal kicking and unsustainably fantastic shot location. And... I said, I want to see what they do when that's disallowed, when they can't get the, to those spots. And they couldn't get to those spots. Geelong got to those spots. St. Kilda couldn't get there. And they flamed out, 4-10. And bad kicking is bad football. 4-10 is going to happen. It's happened to plenty of teams. But when your your wins are coming, when you're kicking 12-1 and yeah, 10-3 and things like that, if it's all based on just that over-the-back goals, you've got to have that second option. And they just didn't in this one. Yeah, 32 goals, one coming into this game from within 15 metres. Uh, incredible. I mean, the accuracy isn't incredible because when you get those shots, it's an automatic goal. But the, the volume of shots they were getting from within 15 metres, you know, guys like Dan Butler, uh, Loney, Gresham, these guys have been kicking goals on repeat in the goal square. They didn't get one shot from within 15 metres yesterday. You saw a Geelong team that defensively structure up as well as anyone in the league. And guys like Tom Stewart and Harry Taylor... Lockie Henderson, Mark Blitzers, I mean, they picked them off all day long. You can add in a few other players that were in there as well. It was comprehensive from Geelong. And St. Kilda kicked four goals, 10. But as you pointed to, that's because they weren't getting those easy looks. I don't think that uh, they, they were forced into a lot of shots from the boundary line. This game was dominated in possession from the, the Cats. And the Saints had some opportunities. But when they were winning the ball out of the center, it did feel like it was still a bomb inside 50 and a hope for the best. And the Cats were committed their wingers were getting back in the back line. Their midfielders were pushing back. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the Saints are going to do if this happens because I think uh, not every team is going to be able to play defense of the caliber of Geelong. But the two times that St. Kilda have been found out this season against Collingwood and now the Cats, arguably two of the best defensive teams in the league. And remember, back then, Collingwood had Jeremy Howell as well. And it was the same type of thing. Yeah, uh, it is It is a troubling thing, and it is we are something we always temper those expectations. And despite the latter position, we thought that Geelong was probably a favorite coming into this one, um, just with some of those doubts around St. Kilda. And it did play out in, in that direction. We still got you know, Jack Steele still playing his you know, strong game, another 25 disposals there. Rowan Marshall was pretty good again. But you talk about Butler, only, only four touches. Um, like He's been so huge for this team all season. Bradley Hill wasn't really a, a big impact 
a player, Max King, couldn't really get his hands on the ball, kicked a couple of behinds. So those guys who have been you know, providing that extra extra push and extra burst and, and those and those goals and the run, it just wasn't there for them in this one. And Geelong, you know, that's, that suffocating defense that they played uh, really, really shut that down. And do you reckon it tells us more about Geelong or more about St. Kilda? No, St. Kilda for sure, because they've had good wins. They've been Port Adelaide. They've beaten Richmond. Uh, that was when they were playing their style of footy. This definitely tells me more about St. Kilda because I think you can go into a game and you know what you're going to get from the Geelong back line. And you know what you'll get from the midfield. Um, Geelong certainly got on top up forward, I thought, Hawkins again. I mean, he's having one hell of a season. I, I tweeted out the numbers, but he's now equal first in the Coleman. Uh, he's first in the league for goal assists and second in the league for score involvements. He's, he's maybe having a career-best season. It's remarkable the footy he's playing. But this is this is about the Saints. And they went in, and you mentioned the two players, Butler and Jaron Geary. Uh, sorry, you didn't mention Geary, but he's the other one. He had four possessions. We saw him earlier in the season go to Sam Doherty and really take him out of the game. He kicked a couple of goals, and he was an impact player as a forward while nullifying uh, Sam Doherty. He went to Tom Stewart in this one, only had four possessions himself, didn't impact the scoreboard, and uh, Tom Stewart had 22 possessions of his own, 19 kicks, nearly 400 metres gained. That was another huge foul for them as well. So the couple of things that they tried to uh, put in place to slow down the Cats... Uh, nothing worked at all. So for mine, this is this is definitely more about the Saints. Yeah, they also had some yeah some yeah, disposal efficiency problems. Sixty five percent versus seventy seven. Like, it's real hard to get close when you are that far off with hitting your targets. Yeah, consistently. Yeah, contested marks, marks inside fifty, well down uh, as well in comparison to Geelong. So yeah, well, down in in numerous key indicators, and it was pretty obvious from watching the game. Like those numbers, you don't look at them and you're not surprised by them. They did actually lead in inside 50s, which is a number that gets referenced so often, but more and more that we talk about it and watch it, it feels useless almost inside 50s because it is just not as important as to where where it is versus just that sheer volume. And yeah, well, St. Kilda had the ball inside their 450 more times and got outplayed thoroughly. It's not that important. It's, it's getting close to hitouts to me as to being a, a stat that's uh, just not important. Yeah, and listen, this, this again, when you talk about the fixture, there's going to be so many anomalies here. St. Kilda coming off a four-day break, Geelong a five-day break. Did that play a factor? I'm not 100% sure. But when you look at what uh, is, is moving ahead now for both of these teams, for Geelong, it was critically important that they won this game because we spoke about the four, day, the four games in 14 uh, days. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and we said, well, okay, well, Geelong's got West Coast, St. Kilda, and Port Adelaide in 14 days, and you throw in the North Melbourne game as well. Uh, we said they need to win two. If they want to keep themselves in the top four mix, uh, they're going to need to win two of those, and we weren't really sure what the two were going to be. Uh, they got North Melbourne, and now they've picked up this one against St. Kilda. Really important, because they've only got four days, and they're coming up against Port Adelaide, who's on a six-day break. So again, when you talk about schedule and fixture, then Port Adelaide has the advantage there. So I'm not sure whether that's why St. Kilda's defensive pressure was down, the four-day break. They played a pretty tight game against Gold Coast, but... It was certainly noticeable. The Cats were able to just control the footy, move the ball around uh, with ease. I mean, you mentioned it. 77% by foot uh, was a pretty clinical effort. It was. And St. Kilda now has a bit of a break. They don't play again until until Sunday yeah. uh, against Essendon. So they've got you know, however many days that is. Yeah, it, it feels like a lot, even though it's less than what yeah. you normally have. But it feels like a ton given the current environment, whereas Geelong has got to, to back up again on, on Friday night. Against Port Adelaide, St. Kilda gets a bit of regroup time there to try and uh, you know, get their legs back back under them. It wasn't the uh, wasn't the only game we had last night. Fremantle gets the win over Hawthorne. I, I can't work out Hawthorne. Kane, um, 
you know, they have that big win against Carlton and then they serve this up, which is the same thing that we've been served up so many times from them in, in the past. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but watch this game and think about Carlton fans and how pissed off oh, they yeah. must have been <laughs> watching this game and just thinking, again, uh, not to, I mean, we've brought it up a lot, but that missed opportunity, my goodness, you know, for Carlton, a team that could have been right on the brink of the eight, watching Hawthorne play the way they did. Uh, this was a really interesting game just purely from the perspective of looking at this as two teams that are now identical on the ladder. I mean, there's only 2% or 3% separating these two teams, but they're both 4 and 6, so very even on the ladder. But one seems to be trending in the right direction. One seems to be trending in a, in a very wrong direction. The, the Dockers were 96, plus 96 in disposals. Almost all of those uncontested, they were able to get on the outside. They completely dominated the footy. They should have won this game by a lot more. Brayshaw had 33 possessions. Chera, 26. Uh Luke Ryan, again, another player down back. We've spoke about him during the season, 21. Caleb Sarong, 20. Fremantle's young guys stood out, and they were the ones that won this game. And for Hawthorne, again, they looked old. They looked slow. For the first time this season, Clarko, after the game, conceded that, you know, we're going to have to get some young players in. But then he pointed to, we have got some young players in the team. And he mentioned James Warple. Well, Warple won the best and fairest last year. If that's who you're hanging your hat on as, as bringing young players into the team, that it probably says a little bit about where the Hawks are at. Warple also went at uh, under 53% in this game. Yeah, Mitchell, who led the, they had 30-plus, went at under 63%. Scrimshaw went at 68%. These are all their yeah, top possession winners, and they just butchered it, really. Outside of Will Day, the top you know, seven or six um, disposal winners all went under 70%, which is it's not good enough. Yeah, O'Meara went at 47%. Wingard went at 40%. So... Yeah, they are they are real, really concerning numbers, and much like the Geelong St Kilda game, like if when you're giving up so much in terms of hitting targets, it's sixty eight versus seventy eight. It's real tough to come back from that, and yeah, you've got because turnovers play such a big part in this game, but also just not. It's not only just turnovers; it's not being able to hit the the target at, at the right time. So a turnover, yeah, or an intercept is not always the result of a bad kick. It could be one where you've got a guy open and then it turns into a 50-50, then it turns into a stoppage and you end up losing that one. So it's about not only just the pure straight turnovers, which are no damaging, but then also losing your opportunity when you've got the guy on the outside and in the space and you can't convert that. So um, yeah, you're right. It, sh- it probably should have been a larger margin here for Fremantle. So Frio, again, uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times now, but uh, they're right in the mix with a couple of teams that we thought were going to be in finals contention or we've spoke about that could you know, make the eight or push the, for the bottom position in the eight. They're tied with Carlton, Gold Coast, uh, Carlton and Gold Coast for points on the season. So they've kind of sneakily rebounded from a, a really poor start and obviously they've had a, a long run at home and kind of an entertaining Fun game coming up next round. Frio and Carlton, both teams would want to get the win. I don't think either team now can make the eight. They have got a game in hand, but I'm not sure whether they're going to have to push up. But certainly whoever loses that game is absolutely eliminated. And the one who wins with a game in hand might give themselves just a sneaky outside chance. Uh, They'll be hoping for Collingwood to lose tonight to Adelaide. There's no doubt about that. There is no doubt about that because that would be their, their real chance to, to push up there. But uh, yeah, Fremantle, pretty exciting stuff for Fremantle in this rebuilding year, the, the way they're continuing to, to play in very different ways. They're going about it versus what's happening with Adelaide, which we'll talk about later, and Matty Nix with those uh, two first-year coaches. Kane, this or that? 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 Melbourne. 
They currently sit on 20 points, five wins, 10 games played. They're out of the eight by two points behind Collingwood. Uh, where do we where do we think? Do you think they can can they push? I know you've said that the eight is settled. Do you think that they can push into you know, finals contention? Are, are they a contender or are they just going to fade away here? Well, at the moment, they look to me like the only team that's in with a sniff. Now, I know that's going to upset you, Josh, yeah. but they are on the 20 points, as you mentioned, also a game in hand, and they do have 20% above the Western Bulldogs right now. So that's what separates those two teams. The reason I, I ask whether I, they are a finals contender or a pretender is because when you look at the teams they've beaten this season, the last two weeks they've beaten up on North Melbourne and Adelaide. Not all that impressive. Their other wins on the season have come against Hawthorne, Gold Coast, and is that it? Hawthorne and Gold Coast, yeah. I think. So <laughs> this is a team that uh, has beaten all bottom eight teams. They haven't beaten the top eight team yet. They're going to get their opportunity this week against Collingwood in a game that that may make or break their season. We speak so much about the talent they have in the lineup. I do think that they've made the right move by persisting with Jackson and Wiedemann. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows we've spoke about that. On the weekend, there was no Gorn. There was no Jack Viney. So they'll get the, those two guys back for this Collingwood game. Uh, Gorn, and Brundy is going to, uh, <laughs> Gorn and Grundy is going to be one hell of a matchup in the ruck. Uh, this, is, this is make or break time for them this week. I, I don't have any faith in them, just from what we've seen against quality teams this year. But they're in the mix. How do you feel about them? Do you have any confidence in this Melbourne team? Well, I think what you brought up is key in terms of who they've beaten. And you compared them to the Western Bulldogs. And they play each other not not in round 12, in round 13. And that'll be an indicator. But when we look at where they sit, they're both equal. Melbourne, of course, with a game in hand. The Bulldogs haven't played Adelaide. They haven't played Hawthorne. They haven't played Fremantle yet. So these are all teams that Melbourne has played and, and got victories over. Um, whereas the Bulldogs have had that run against the Power, Brisbane, Richmond in these last couple of games. They played Collingwood and St. Kilda already. So while they sit as they are, the Bulldogs losing three in a row, the Demons pushing up, sit even. I think we've got to look at what happens in these last games. But that, that game in, in two games' time between those two teams will give us a real indication. If Melbourne can win that one, maybe they push forward. But they've got a harder fixture coming up. And it's all well and good to beat these teams and you have to beat those teams down the bottom, but you got to be, you got to be competitive against some of the other ones. You've got to be able to put in some good performances and sneak a couple of wins in there, which we haven't seen yet uh, from Melbourne. It was interesting on the weekend uh, on Sunday night, Jack Viney didn't play. As I mentioned, Angus Brayshaw went into the midfield. He had 29 disposals, 17 kicks, 12 handballs, four marks, he was 563 meters gained. He was an incredibly influ- influential player. We know where he finished in the Brownlow back in 2018 when everything was flying for Melbourne. He's been pushed out of there with Oliver, with Viney. There's a lot of similar players in the Melbourne midfield. And I think that's the question mark. When you look at him, who's the outside runner? Where's the flair coming from? Where's the skill coming from? And Brayshaw has been pushed out to a wing. I think they need to find a way to continue to play him in the middle. And I don't know what that means for Christian Pachaka. He's been a ball winner this year. He's been a guy that's moved into the midfield. But it's also made it difficult for them to get the best out of Angus Brayshaw. So does Pachaka need to play more, spend more time in the forward line? I don't know. We, we, this is the debate we have with uh, Dugowie, with Collingwood when he's playing. I think, interestingly enough, last night, and we didn't touch on this, Patrick Dangerfield, the Cats seem to be really wanting to play him more in the forward line and open up midfield opportunities for other players. Should the Demons 
as well as Petrarca's playing, and if there's Melbourne fans listening to the podcast, let us know at Locked On AFL. Do they need to uh, ensure, even with Viney, that Brayshaw stays in the middle and Petrarca maybe, as a result of that, spends more time up forward? Yeah, that is an interesting one because Petrarca's obviously had a lot of time up forward over the early parts of his career and has that you know that size and that goal-kicking ability to go in there for periods of time. So it is worth looking at, but yeah, then you run the risk of having like you know, Oliver and, uh, and Langdon and Viney and all these sort of similar-ish type players uh, in the middle versus a, a Petrarca who's a little bit more explosive than a lot of those guys and seems to be a bit more creative than, than some of those players as well at, at times and has obviously been more successful than most of those guys this year. So I guess there is a balance there, but I could see it working again because you've got to try and, whether that means you drop the production of Petraka down by 10%, but you boost Brayshaws by 25%, it's an overall win to the team. So it's just trying to balance that. Like, how does it all fit together? You can't get necessarily the best out of every player in every position, but trying to get the best overall production to, to make sense for your team. Is, is something that their coaches are going to always have to try and weigh up. And, and it is, I think it's a move that, that has some merit to it, to at least, or at least you're know, not doing it full-time, but you're doing a little bit more of it to get yeah, Brayshaw reignited, like we saw against North Melbourne, where he was really good and, and providing that role. But then again, that's without Viney. So and you don't want to throw, I don't think you want to throw an Oliver or a Viney forward. It probably has to be Petrarca out of that group. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think the other benefit of having Pachaka up forward, he's going to uh, draw so much attention that potentially that helps a guy like Wiedemann and potentially that helps a guy like Jackson. As long as you don't funnel all your your eyes into Pachaka and, and making sure you kick it to him every time and you still uh, you know spread the field, uh, find the one-on-ones, it might help the function of the forward line as well, even though obviously against North and Adelaide they haven't had any problems kicking goals. I think we're going to talk more about that Collingwood-Melbourne matchup as the as the week goes on, as it gets closer, because I think it will be a big game. But the Pies tonight, uh, we said, they, they let's say they stumbled over the line against Sydney, uh, certainly very inaccurate, and that was why the game was as close as it was. But they've got an Adelaide team tonight, and there's a lot of big outs for the Pies. Are, are we you completely came, ruled out. Are you, are, you saying, <laughs> are you saying that this is Adelaide's chance? Uh... No, I'm not. I can't bring myself to say that. But listen to the apps. Adam Trelaw, Darcy Moore, Isaac Quain, all we know, Jamie Elliott, and Will Hoskin Elliott. So that is some serious talent going out of this team. And the ins, I mean, I'm not I'm not overly excited about the ins. Chris Main, Darcy Cameron, Lyndon Dunn, Tim Broomhead, Travis Varco, Rupert Wills. None of those names are of the caliber of the ones that are going out for this team. We already know they're missing uh, Jeremy Howe. Obviously, they're missing Scott Pendlebury. This is, I mean, there's a lot of quality out of this team. I can't bring myself to say Adelaide's a chance, but are they a chance? Well, I think them losing Daniel Talia maybe puts a a little bit of a... um... A little bit of a, a pin in that balloon. They made five. Cha- they made nine changes last week. Another five this week. Adelaide bringing back Smith, Hardig, and Stengel, McPherson, and McAdam. While Talia, Kelly, Murphy, Jones, and Hamill all go out. Um, although, but we've talked about Collingwood's forward line problem. So maybe losing or not having Talia in this game is not as big of a problem as it may be in other games. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the Pies haven't been able to kick goals. So listen, we just spoke about Melbourne. You're really opening up the floodgates, particularly in the fourth quarter against the Crows. If you're the Pies, this is a game that, yeah, you know, I, I don't really care who, who you've got in there. You've still got uh, Jaden Stevenson, uh, these these players that are up there that can kick goals. Dacos last week, obviously, we saw kick the game winner. 
Uh, so this is a game that you want to kick 10, 12, 13 goals. They, they haven't kicked over 10 goals for a long, long time. Uh, tonight it has to be the night for them. And again, it, we keep talking about it, but this is this is actually a critical game for them to win. If they win this game, they could push up as high as sixth on the ladder. If they lose, then they're really hanging precariously in the eight by just two points with a couple of teams behind them that, that have a game in hand. And by the end of this round, they will most likely find themselves out of the eight. So, uh, listen, this is a big-time game for the Pies. I, I know a few Pies fans that are jumping right off the train right now. They are not feeling confident at all. They are terrified about this game tonight. I do hope that it's a great contest. That's all I'll say. That's what happens when you've got a team that's 0-10 and, and then it comes your turn to play them. You don't be like, oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. This is going to be you. And you go, oh, what if it's us? Like, what, what, if, yeah. what if it's our team that loses? And I'm going to have that same feeling as soon as this game's over. So I want Adelaide to win this one so the Bulldogs don't become the first team to lose to the Crows, which hopefully they don't. But you have that fear. It's like, what if it's us? And I'm sure that creeps into playing groups and coaching groups as well. They feel confidence, but they're like, shit, we, we, don't want, we don't want this to happen. And maybe they get a little, you know, 5% extra tight and yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little bit um, anxious uh, about that sort of thing. And maybe that's going through Collingwood's head and that doesn't help when you're losing the caliber of players that you do. And bringing back blokes that haven't played for uh, yeah, a long time in Dunn and, and Broomhead, and then again, no, nowhere near the caliber of the guys who were, were on, the, on the way out. So it is interesting. Uh, I think it probably ends up being like a 50-point smashing, and we look like we're foolish for talking about it in this light, but at least there is there is something to see there with that difference uh, and those ins and outs and how Collingwood has struggled and how they struggled against Sydney, and now they come in with an objectively worse team uh, on the park. That could be... And if, if Adelaide plays some of the footy they played, say, against St. Kilda, it's, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. It's, I mean, it's close, I've just but got, it's I've just... I've just pulled up the injury list now for the Pies. So, you know, I mean, Dane Beams, whatever. It, you basically, at this point, um, I'm not sure if you include him on the injury list. It doesn't look like he's going to come back. But on top of the guys that are out, Jordan Dugowie, Levi Greenwood, Jeremy Howe, Tom Langdon, and Scott Penderbury, as we said. So, I mean, they, they now do have an injury list as big as anyone. And I, I do think that they are looking ahead a little bit. They're like, okay, this is a game that we should win. Let's get a couple of these guys some more some more rest and hopefully get them back for this game against Melbourne because uh, that's one that they can't afford to lose. So again, I think we're seeing some some funny buggers at the at the selection table and the Pies are taking a little bit of a gamble here that they can get away with it. But if they start slow, I've said this, Adelaide at times this season, it's been their own inaccuracy that's taken them out of games. But if they find themselves in the contest, then they're going to give themselves a, a, a chance to at least push, and this game's at Adelaide Oval, so there's going to be fans there. We've seen the impact that that has had in a number of games already, but uh, listen, Manala, interesting night of footy ahead. What do you think is more likely, Adelaide winning or Collingwood winning by 50-plus? Collingwood by (laughs) 50-plus. But then that that requires them to kick nine goals. Yeah, but I I still just think they will. I mean, I've seen too many teams run away from the Crows, so as much as we have talked this up as it could potentially be a contest, if I had to put money on it, whether the Crows would win or it would be a Pies blowout. It would still be a Pies blowout. I've, I've still got uh, probably an unhealthy level of faith in this Collingwood team, even though last week they really started to uh, make me wonder. Just, we're, we're sort of getting towards the end of this show, and I just saw a tweet come through, and this is you don't have any advance notice of this, Kane, so I'm just going to throw it at you. It says here, would you be happy with keeping AFL games shorter moving forward if it meant that the season had more? 
potentially up to 34. So every team plays everyone twice, games per team per season. So playing these 16-minute quarters and having footy every day, like an NBA-type schedule when everyone plays 34 games. How would you feel about that? Well, I've thought about this a little bit the last couple of weeks because I will say that the longer the season has gone, and maybe it is because there's footy every night, and maybe it is because uh, the, the breaks are shorter, I have found myself caring less and less about the fact there's 16-minute quarters. Like when the season started, it was very, very noticeable. The games felt like they were quick. That hasn't been the case the last few weeks. I've just been like, oh, it is what it is. I haven't thought about it at all. I certainly enjoy the fact that there's footy every day. Now, would that change if I wasn't in lockdown and not allowed to leave the house? I don't know. I don't know what impact that's having on all this, but as someone that really doesn't watch any TV outside of sport anyway, I mean, if you can give me uh, a footy every night of the week, I'm not going to complain. I I think the players would have an issue with it, so I don't know how many four-day breaks you would get away with, but there's probably a way... You know, whether it's you don't have footy on a on a Tuesday and Wednesday, but you have it every other day. There's probably something you can work out, or maybe there's a section of the season where you have this little festival of footy. I'm not so sure, but I think for the um, the even playing field of the league, we've always said that you either play each other once and you expand the comp to 20, and you have a 20 game season. That's something I've been an advocate for. Or you do this, you keep it at 16-minute quarters and, yeah, you, you play each other twice and have 34 weeks. Oh, 34 games, I should say. So yeah, what they would, I think what they would have to do if they went down that path is, yeah, well, it means nothing, but eliminate the, the nomenclature of naming rounds, like round 11, round 12. And it's just like you're just playing games. Like this is when your game is. It's not because oh, here's round 11, it goes for four days, and here's the next one. For, it doesn't sort of make sense on, on a time basis. very much how an NBA schedule to, uh, works. It's not. It's not based on, you know, this is what's happening in this round. It's sort of, you, you might play one week, you might play two games, you might play one the next week, and it sort of varies to try and fit all those games in with scheduling and that sort of thing. So I think they'd have to move to something a little bit more flexible than that rather than like, no, all 18 teams have to play in a row and then then, then they play all again, then they play all again. I think you'd have to be a little bit more flexible with that. But you're getting 34 games and getting an even schedule. I'm with you. I, I, the 16-minute quarters, I haven't really noticed it of late. And I think that's just exposure because that's what we're seeing and we're getting used to it. And I'd, I'd love to get the, the full quarters back. But I'm not. if it results in, in that, I'm not sure I'd be against it. What about, you just reminded me, I saw another tweet last night. I think it was Sam McClure that said the um, deliberate out-of-bounds rule and then he did like the laughing, crying emoji. We've spoken about the rules a lot this year because clearly it's been in the news and when you're watching games, it's hard not to think about the rules. A couple of weeks ago, I said that the deliberate out-of-bounds rule is one of the rules that I've, the rule changes that I, I think I, I really, really like. And occasionally from time to time, there's going to be a mistake. There was a poor one last night with a St. Kilda player that sort of, he was literally trying to mark the ball and it, and it just sort of ricocheted uh, out of bounds. He was really close to the boundary anyway and they paid deliberate. It was a wrong decision. I, I think everyone knew that. But I think overall... The deliberate out-of-bounds rule is is awesome. I, I think for for so many years, you talk about not wanting stoppages in the, in the in the game. How many times over the years have players just purely looked for a territory when they don't have an option to kick the ball? I think the deliberate out-of-bounds rule is fantastic. Out of all the rules to complain about, it was so strange to me to pick on that one. Yeah, deliberate out-of-bounds, I think, was in trouble about four or five years ago. There was it, there were some wild decisions being made with that one, but... I think the way again, I, I don't really have any problem with it. I, I don't see why people. That's that's so far down the list of the things that yeah. that would need you know, adjusting. Of course, holding the balls up there, but yeah, 
I'm 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 big on clash jumpers. That's a that's a massive problem the AFL needs to sort out. It just continually happens with teams wearing uh, wearing the wrong colours, like when Adelaide played uh, Melbourne and both teams were predominantly blue and red. So that was uh, that was awesome from them. Um, I just don't understand the, the hesitancy there. But yeah, deliberate out of bounds. I think I think it's fine. I think it's great. Yeah, quickly before we wrap this up, shout out to Renee. She you you mentioned the the clash Guernsey. Oh, yeah. She tweeted at us. Uh, a couple of days ago now, I did mean to bring that up yesterday. But yeah, no doubt. Listen, it's 2020. Put on a clash, Guernsey, and, and play a game of footy. It's not a big deal. Come on, get over it. Yeah, look, if, if Richmond can go out there, win a flag in a, in a bright yellow jumper, I think we can all go out there and at least try something new, make it exciting, and make it so that the teams don't look the bloody same when you're looking. And and no, white shorts don't fix the problem. It's It doesn't fix the problem. I don't care what happened 40 years ago. 40 years ago, a lot of different things were happening in the world that we don't find acceptable now, and we shouldn't find this acceptable. And that's enough of my Jersey Guernsey jumper soapbox. Kane, thank you again for another episode of Locked on AFL. Always a pleasure. Guys, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, and give us a five-star review. And I'm going to leave you today with a shout-out to Farron Ray.